You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with the healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am one of your hosts, Cameron Steinheimer, and I am the marketing manager here at Pacific Companies. Welcome everybody to the Doc Lounge Podcast by Pacific Companies. I'm your host, JC Doyle, Senior Director of Marketing. Um, and I want to thank everybody for tuning into our Provider's Perspective series. So this series focuses on a physician's journey through medicine and the learnings and advice they would give their peers and upcoming physicians. Our special guest today on the Provider's Perspective is Dr. Thomas Bay, an interventional and neurointerventional radiologist. I am also joined by a, my co-host today, which is Brian Davis. He is the Director of Locum Tenants Recruitment at Pacific Companies. Um, so I, I want to welcome you, Dr. Bay. Tell us, you know, a little bit about your background and, and how you became a radiologist. I, I grew up in Michigan and I I like science and math far more than not science classes. <laughs> so I, I became an engineer, went to University of Michigan and did some bioengineering work and enjoyed the medicine part of engineering. So that led me to radiology kind of a physics-based uh, profession, as you know, x-rays and electromagnetic radiation, all the high-tech stuff. But uh, it intrigued me uh, to do hands-on work. And during my residency, which was at UCSF in Fresno, yeah, I got a lot of hands-on with uh, the interventional part of diagnostic radiology, which is in your four-year fellowship, you do you know, multiple rotations in what we call IR. IR is a unique two-letter phrase that is not well known by the public, but other physicians know it. Uh, Brian is aware of that. So uh, they call on our specialty to put out fires in the least invasive way, the sort of the most efficient way, if possible, safest way. And my life has sort of been gravitated towards doing more and more of that, more hands-on uh, I like putting out fires if I can. I like uh, going to distress situations because you feel like you're making the biggest impact that you, you hope you do. So that's what's happened over the years. Um, it's been a long process, about a 25-year process to find my calling, if you will. And my calling is not necessarily to work in one facility, even though there's a lot of security in that. It's more the 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 thrill and the excitement of a new facility uh, what I call uh, interrelated uh, data transfer, if you will, or um, what's the word I use? Sometimes I'll talk to a clinician and say, I never thought of that way or vice versa. And you get that co-mingling of ideas only because you're in a new situation, you know. So that's led me to do this uh, locums work. And I was starting to do it in 2018 uh, with some frequency enough to tell me it was enjoyable for me and I could uh, give my notice in my group, which is a great group in Reading. Uh, and I still work for them occasionally, but I, I just enjoy the locums uh, profession and working with good companies such as Pacific companies. Uh, it's been a win-win for me for going on four and a half years now. Love that. Love that. Love love the intro to the locum locum life or lifestyle. But I'd love, Brian, just to interject here real quick um, for our audience that's listening. Obviously, we have a lot of physicians within our audience. 
explain really exactly what locum tenens is and, and why maybe somebody might want to consider becoming a locums provider. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a number of reasons and to some of the, the things that Dr. Bay said a moment ago, those are definitely some of the driving forces. People want to work with new colleagues and kind of experience new facilities and ideas. Um, it could be anything really. It could be somebody that wants to pick up more shifts or more work or travel to a new location. It might be uh, in addition to their employed position that they're working now, they might want to pick up a few weekends. Uh, it could also be the opposite. Someone's looking to scale back. They don't want that full-time employed position. They want to work a couple weekends or one weekend a month. Um, it could be any sort of thing. Uh, a lot of times people use it as an opportunity to try out new facilities, new groups before really signing on the dotted line and making a long-term commitment uh, before they pick up and move their family and their lives to a new area. So there's a lot of different reasons. And uh, you know, whatever the reason is, we want to be here to help. Love that. And and Dr. Bay, I'd love to learn a little bit about, yeah, what what has made you kind of interested in locums? How did you get started? And and kind of just explain that journey a bit um, for, for their physicians. It started out, just like Brian said, uh, I was in a group practice. Uh, it actually was even 2016, 2017. And I had heard about an opportunity or a place I used to work, an area, Central California, Stockton area. Um and it was a group needing a, a, occasional help, if you will, at a weekend only. So it, it appeared to be a pretty low uh, impact on vacation time in a full-time practice. So I tried it out, and uh, it was just that. It was uh, an ability to see if uh, working in a new situation is overwhelming. Uh, what's the stress level of jumping into an uncharted territory, learning a new EMR system, dictation system and, and the whole works, you know, but, um, it was, I, I saw other locums positions in the process and, uh, it's just that some people were doing the locums early on in their career. And, uh, maybe they didn't have a family at that point. They were younger, they were, or they were in late in their career and the same thing. I was in the middle somewhere and I was very happy I had done enough work in a full-time practice to get a skill set that I was confident to handle the unique situations. Um, and so the journey for me has been one of constant um, sort of honing my skill set to fit the places in need and, and then able to go to uh, places I had never thought I'd go. One of them is North Dakota. Uh, it was one of the few states I'd never visited, even in travels. But I, I, I found an opportunity to do uh, stroke thrombectomy, varicose vein work, and interventional. So I don't think I could have found that without the helps of locums companies to guide. And they're, they're a connecting point between the hospital in need and a physician wanting potential work. And without them, we would never learn of these opportunities. So the same thing of Reading, I was here. We were doing stroke work in Reading, and suddenly now I, I became useful to the same place I had just left as a locum through Brian's company and his connection with the, the hospital. Love that. So it sounds like you're somebody that, you know, likes diversity, likes to be able to, you know, apply your skills and all your expertise and kind of quickly adapt in, in new settings and locations. Yes, exactly. I, I think it's not for everyone. Uh, and, and even uh, it would be good for, I think, all physicians to try it. And uh, he brought that point up. Uh, see if it's for you. You know, many uh, would not be comfortable 
you know, flying out and uh, a day of flight and then hotel room living for a week and then fly back. I look at it as a little mini vacation where my focus is 100% the hospital. Uh, and it, it does call to many positions. Uh, like I said, in some states, I'll run into people from all over the country, some, some outside the U.S., uh, traveling physicians with other specialties. So that's exciting. And again, I guess you have to be ready to extend uh, yourself a little bit, think outside the box, and then work with the facility that is going to be asking of you things maybe outside your wheelhouse a little. So, um, tell it. So, tell us a little bit more just about um, being an interventional radiologist. What exactly you know are you doing from a day to day standpoint? It sounds like every day is different, but love to learn uh, about that. So, like I said, we're no more amongst other doctors because it's not. So, you've heard of a cardiologist, you've heard of a heart doctor, you know, uh, you've heard of an orthopedic surgeon, orthopod, but a lot of said IR. What the heck's an IR? You know, so uh, we're a subset of radiology, and we deal with uh, catheters, we deal with ultrasound guided procedures, CT guided procedures, fluoroscopy, or X-ray. And what we'll do is we take small tools, sometimes. Uh, the common is using in the vascular system a small catheter, very tidy, uh, and guide that through an access point in the body. Usually it's a pressure point you would know of. If someone were to hurt themselves, you're holding pressure on bleeding area. That same pressure point, one is in the uh, hip joint area, is an access point for us to get a tiny catheter in the patient and guide that catheter into a blood vessel that's either bleeding from trauma or has a tumor and you're putting particles in that tumor uh, or is narrow, and you put a stent in that uh, vessel to increase the blood flow. Or in the case of the brain, we'll put a uh, very tiny catheter into the brain and take out a clot that is actively causing a stroke. So if your relative loses the sensation of movement in their arm and leg or the ability to talk, that's a stroke, essentially. Uh, and it's a rapid response that we'll do for this. That's what makes the job fairly exciting, uh, a lot of adrenaline, you know, but um, the benefit is you see a cause and effect, sometimes on the table. Patient's not moving, you take the, the thrombus out of their, uh, a small vessel in their brain, and they're starting to move. When they're still recovering on the table, they're starting to be able to talk again. It's really rewarding. So I've been doing that for about five and a half, six years now. So that's a subset of, that's even a subset of interventional, uh, neurointerventional. And just to add on to that, I think one of the most interesting things is, you know, we've been working together for over two years now and, and you'll say, Hey, you know, have this, you know, there's a stroke activation or something's coming in. Right. And, and the procedures themselves, you, you said yourself, it probably takes what, no less than maybe three hours yeah. tops. The long, the longer ones, three hours, sometimes the faster ones are less than 30 minutes, less than even 20 rarely, but yes. But it's the urgency and then that kind of quick response and everything that is, is life changing for yeah. people. It's a, we've done uh, as young as 19-year-old and as old as a 99-year-old. So strokes happen oh, for wow. different reasons. In a young patient, it could be from a heart that is not pumping well and a blood clot breaks free from the heart. Same, same as an older person with atrial fibrillation. But many causes, atherosclerotic disease, uh, hardening of the arteries, if you will, could affect every vessel in the body. Um, but yeah, the cause and effect of what we do, and it's not just stroke thrombectomy. Another is pulmonary embolism treatment. The, the, that's not as a silent killer because basically 
there's a blood clot that goes to your lungs from wherever, usually your legs, and it cuts off the supply uh, flow to your lungs, so your lungs can't oxygenate your own blood. So it'd be like me transporting you to the top of Mount Everest in two seconds. You would immediately breathe, but nothing would be exchanged. You'd, you'd essentially faint. So that can be a silent killer. That's also a rapid response type of situation. Trauma is another one where we'll go in where someone car accident so deeply uh, injured internally that the surgeon can't make an incision otherwise the blood would all come out so we go in with these tiny catheters rapidly and put these particles in coils to stop the blood flow to their uh, broken let's say pelvis or whatnot so the field has its urgent and its semi-urgent <laughs> procedures then it has its elective procedures such as placing porticaths for people with chemotherapy putting a catheter in someone's kidney uh, collecting system that is obstructed from a stone or they'll come into the ER with a lot of pain or they're feverish, septic, we call it, uh, deeply infected. Um, and then the, a very common procedure we'll do is an abscess drainage in someone who maybe has just a recent gallbladder removal. And there's about an 8 to 10% chance they may have a mild infection. Uh, and then it could be less than that of a severe infection that could turn into an abscess. So we'll go in to avoid a second surgery. That's why we're known by the other subspecialties because they'll call on us and we have a good relationship. We want to be called because if it's your relative, you want to have a tube coming out of you for a few days instead of another surgery. So that's what our field does. Oh my gosh. Well, I love you. I just learned a ton and it sounds uh, very exciting and also very rewarding to be able to just you know see see some of the the immediate impacts that can be life saving. Um, so I, I appreciate that because uh, you know a lot of our audience are also you know lay people like me that just want to learn and and really understand all the amazing things you do as really healthcare heroes from a day to day standpoint. Um, what one thing I wanted to ask you about is you know how. It sounds like you're very good at adapting to these different healthcare settings and just kind of, you know, going to different places and, and you know, really learning how to how to adjust. Do you have any tips for um, anybody that is currently a locums provider or is thinking about being a locums provider? How do you kind of set out and, and do that? You know, the, the one nice thing is we often get caught in a quagmire of paperwork um, and Brian does make it so simple for us. Um, but I, I'd like to do a summary of a detailed summary of my week or weekend of work and Brian can digest the data and get it to the right places. Oftentimes that middle step is, is on the onus of the doc to do correctly. I, I confess I, I can't do it correct. Sometimes there's four spreadsheets to document that I've done overtime here or there or travel or call. It gets daunting and it, it can be a, a disadvantage for some relationships with other companies. I've worked with about nine though. Um, and I think I've done about 10 different hospitals of credentialing. So another thing is the credentialing. So that can be... Um, I'll, I'll give you both spectrums. One would be the company works with you. You give them your data. And your data can be 80 pages of uh, previous certificates, graduation diplomas, uh, bar certifications, et cetera. Even immunizations, uh, the whole gamut. That data is given to some of the companies and they digest the data. And then they get it to the hospital and it fills the hospital's separate data set. That's a smooth transition. 
the the tough transitions where will be six or seven different people in each department of the hospital are contacting you for the same thing you said to four or five other people. That happens. You know, I have to be blunt. No, no, luckily not with Brian, <laughs> but there are companies, so I'm not going to disparage them, but I'm just going to say a learning curve would be to have what I would call a cook in the kitchen, just someone who you can relate to. I'm happy if Brian told told me, hey, you need these three documents. Please get them to me, PDF them. And then, and then he he can help take care of the situation. But if four people are emailing you in different departments, in different cities, even, and they have not yet got their email saying, "Oh, his uh, his uh, immunizations or his COVID test is negative." Here, you know, all these things are important, but it delays and it becomes overwhelming when you're working. So that's a huge plus to his company. Uh, many well-run companies, but there are some that are new to this in terms of a company perspective. And, and I think they think that physicians knows how to do it. We don't often. Uh, we're learning new EPIC and uh, EMR, we call it, uh, electronic medical record systems, the transcription systems. We're getting a new badge. We're getting a security clearance at each and every hospital. That's after we get the assignment. So day one is often eight hours of computer work and meeting six or seven new people in the hospital and relatively rapid process. I've done it a lot, so I'm getting used to it. But yeah, the advice is if you can work with one key person at the company, it goes miles. And that would be advice, I guess, to the candidates looking for companies. Try to find what you gravitate to. I tend to p pass only good news, so I don't like to say disparaging things. But so if I find a winning combination, I like to share it. And I do that even to this day in, in certain states where I work. They'll ask me who I'm using and other candidates are up in the air. And I say, well, why am I using XYZ service? And they usually follow suit. And I'll tell my representative, you know, hey, I have four other doctors interested. You know, and it goes a long way because I try to put my money where my mouth is and say, I have had no issues. And, you know, here's why I recommend. As opposed to the opposite, saying negative things, I think gets you no. It's not fair. You know, maybe there was a unique situation that happened with someone, but uh, that would be good advice. So what I'm hearing you say is, you know, you like working with Brian and Pacific companies because you do have that single source of contact that kind of really helps take care of everything. So then you're just focused on when you show up, okay, I got to practice. I'm doing what I love. I'm helping, you know, save lives and, and focusing on that. Yeah, we don't, none of us... Uh, the physicians don't like to go into a facility knowing, uh, I can't quite get you credentialed. You're missing your varicella zoster or titer, you know, and it's, it's been documented. And I'm like, really, that's going to hold us up, you know? So, uh, that if you can avoid all those steps, yes, because uh, all we're thinking is I'm on call now for the hospital and the ER docs are going to start calling me at whatever time I start my shift. And if I still don't have a badge or an electronic medical record signed on because of another delay. It just adds stress to the whole system. The ER doc has no idea that I've not yet, you know, run through the 8 to 4 p.m. time frame. So it's really important to have all those ducks in a row beforehand. And it, 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 the first thing on our mind is where's my pager? Where's my, uh, who do I call back? And as my phone starts going off, I want to know what, who am I covering? And do I have every everything I need to cover? I have had a situation where I did not have the electronic sign-in at a facility, and I was still having to take call. 
you know, in the days of essentially diversion or with the, if the computer system's down, you still have to work on people. So it became a paper trail until we got uh, an IT person to help while I'm doing cases already. So those situations, and usually we'll cover on weekends. So the other thing is we cover when other people are normally off. Um, so these are fires that I've seen, but their advice to the new candidate, fresh out of training. Uh, what I recommend it fresh out of training, uh, it'd be t- I, I think after a year or two of working, sure. Uh, because facilities want you to be able to do solo work, you know. The nice setups are when you can cover a place that has a few doctors already there and one is missing, one is on vacation. I think that's better for the new candidate that's just still learning the skill set. They will feel more comfortable. They'll have someone helping them do the sign-on or find where do you get the scrubs or what do you do with XYZ, where do you park? Simple things because if if there's no one there, I've started facilities at Saturday at 7 a.m. There is no one around. You're, you're just there. You, you ask other ER docs, hey, where does the IR usually go? Hey, where, what floor is it? You know, and so it, it's, it's fun, but it's also a little bit stressful. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I mean, that's that's a lot to, to have to be worried about juggling. So um, I love that that you're giving that advice to, you know, physicians thinking of, of you know, potentially trying locums. Um, I just when hearing you talk, Dr. Bay, and talking about all the technologies and all that, um, how do you how do you stay up to date um, w- with what's the latest advancements? And you, I know you're talking about Epic and EMR. How have you navigated that personally, as you know, as a radiologist? As the time's gone on, yeah. The, the nice part of I'll tell you about I'm basically full time locums at this point, and but I think I'm working more than full time. Uh, I thought I'd be retired or semi-retired, but I, I like this too much. My wife's good with it. She's studying for her master's. So for the last two years nearly, I've done a lot of extra work while she's studying. So I'm going to compartmentalize it more. But in terms of a time, time management is so much more efficient when you're a locos because what I can do is uh, I can time my flight even. You know, when does my wife study? When is she off? I'll work five days here. I'll fly this day, I'll fix this situation, and then she and I have three days off, and then I go to a review course. And now I can put the review course higher on the list, as opposed to if you're part of a group of three, four, or five other physicians, you have to you have to petition that time off. They all want similar time in the summer, etc. What I've found is as a locums, it really does work out well, especially when I work in North Dakota, the docs there that live there really prefer their summers off. The summers are beautiful there. They don't get, uh, you know, a warmish winter like I might in California and Oregon. So it works out that I might try to do the summers there, and it's a win-win. But then likewise, they don't need uh, as much in the winter, and I can go to a winter conference and not be there. And, and so you're, you're, you're the master of your own schedule. You have to learn how to juggle it. I do a phone app for that, but, uh, and color coded, you know, where am I now? What state am I in? Jesus, you know, so, uh, but it comes up and I think it, it's meant I can go to more courses that are tailored to what I do. And now it's just like when you see a graduate, uh, not a postgraduate, you, you go to, in engineering school, we had some older, um, you know, students that had had a career and they decided to go into engineering. 
they were really the best students, I thought. They knew what they wanted, you know, so they would just nail the course. So I think when I go to these review courses, I really specifically am a sponge for stroke thrombectomy lectures for anything with varicose vein work. I do vein intervention and I'll try to cater to those and hone the skill set with the limited time I have and I'm paying for it, you know, as opposed to if you're in a group, a lot of times there's a group budget for that. So your, your time and your money management become really efficient, I think. Uh, and I do Zoom conferences as well. I never did that before. I mean, with COVID, we had to. But some of them become very useful. I can still cover a facility an extra day and a half because I will immediately just Zoom conference the moment I get off the plane and, you know, cover another week off or something. That's a, yeah, no, I think that is, is just really insightful because you're basically able to keep educating yourself and, and really be participating in a lot of those conferences and, and keeping up with the latest, you know, trends and, and really um, insights into, you know, like you're saying, the specialties. So that is really, really, I think, a, a great piece of information for, for our audience. The other thing I love that you said was you're able to comp- compartmentalize things and really have sounds like more of a work life balance in a way which I think is kind of the opposite of what sometimes people think with locum. So it, it, I love that example of you kind of know, okay, now I can just spend time with my family for these days. And then the other days, okay, I'm focusing, I'm shifting into work mode. Yeah. And my wife and I, we're just starting, I mean, we just pick it up bocce ball. We're going to start to do pickleball. The things as she graduates, I'm focusing on channeling my off time to do things we both wanted to do. Just Goofy stuff. We're going to travel as well. But when work is on, work is game on. And I prefer to be at a place that's uh, like, literally, I'll be honest with you. If I find two hospitals near each other are in need, I will literally ask, well, what's the shortage at one? Two docs are short out of three. The other one has uh, one doc that is wanting extra vacation. Well, I might have to cater to the one that's really hurting. I mean, or similar, if one doc has three kids aged eight to 12, uh, and they're asking for help for a key or, you know, right after high school, right after graduation, let's say, or some of them are graduating from middle school. It's a big deal for their summer. So I'm going to cater to that person. I, I will even call that person directly say, Hey, uh, I can fly in Sunday or Monday. You know, do you have a preference? And I learn a lot that way. And it's never offensive to the locums company since they want me to be hired again there, hopefully. And the doc that's there is very thankful that I reached out and said, you know, hey, if I did this extra day on the front or back end, which would be more valuable? And they'll, they have a specific request, but they, it doesn't often make it, you know, through the, their company hiring Brian. But if I just chat with the person I'm going to cover, it's a win-win. I'll just say, hey, uh, I do kyphoplasty. I do back fracture work with cement. And I might ask, do you like doing kyphoplasty or do you have several patients that you want me to do if it's something you do less of or X, Y, Z? And they enjoy that interaction as well. I want to make myself be useful rather than just be filling a digit, filling a space, because you're you're likely going to be asked back if you can really have a tangible personal effect on either that or the staff or maybe a safety issue you can try to put out a fire or you see some potential safety issue in a nice way you might bring it up. You know, they, they look kindly upon that. So that's what I've learned. You know, that's taken several years to kind of adapt and feel that out. You know, you don't want to be 
overstepping your bounds, but you might just say, and they, every person, every nurse and technologist that I brought things up to enjoys that I brought it up. You know, they're thankful. To your point too, I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, you're talking about you, you personally, just cause I, I know you and how you interact with the facilities, you, you do make an extra effort to, to talk to people individually and directly, as opposed to trying to always go through, you know, a certain channel. And I think that is a major benefit and you've probably cultivated a lot of great professional and relationships with physicians you've worked with at other locus facilities. I mean, I know you have because you've said, Hey, I worked with him in North Dakota. He'd love to get out to California, stuff like that. Can you talk on kind of those relationships maybe you've made from visiting facilities and, and, and whatever that may mean. Sure. Yeah. I, and I, and we can dovetail into, uh, when, when you work with a locums company, some of them have a one year stipulation, some facilities, and that's fair. It's kind of bittersweet, you know, but you don't lose your connection with your representative like Brian, but maybe a facility you're covering, the year is coming up and he may find other work for you. So you keep that relationship going. Some places uh, are fixed and they, they can't keep hiring you. So they'll ask about, uh, and this is a thing that Brian could touch on, but uh, they'll, they want to hire you. You've, you've covered a place for a year and they like you and they even said, could you keep coming back? And uh, I was uh, honored to have that on me in North Dakota. And the company worked with me and worked with the hospital saying, hey, here's part of our contract. We, we found this person. Uh, you're going to, his term is up but we'd like you to have the first crack at him being hired there, even part-time. So that's a relationship building thing. And they like the locums company, clearly. They like the doc. And then the relationship continues. Or maybe, like he said, you're full-time. You test out a place. You may, Maybe you've never gone to Missouri or Mississippi and you say, I wanna, I've want i got family down there. Let, let me do a locums and see if uh, there's a job down the road. Um the locums company can be a bridge to make the transition smooth and seamless. But the relationships you build at a facility are the most important, I think. You know, once you're there, find out the docs you're covering. Um, the first, the most exciting thing you could do is work at a place and you have 10 days signed up. And after three or four, they say, well, all right, when's the next week? You know, and you feel, you feel flattered. Like, oh, okay, oh, they, I guess they like me. They're asking for more time. But these are, these are, tangible things that mean something, you know, uh, they're sort of answering all of your worries in one fell swoop. So that comes with the other docs that you work with in the field you're working, but other physicians that call on your field, ER docs, surgeons, etc. And uh, if they see that you're conscientious and you're, you're helping them put out a fire or vice versa, uh, it goes a long way. And you might gravitate towards, you know, places that you never thought you'd visit, you know, like say North Dakota. I, I, I keep mentioning because I've had great experience up there at three different hospitals now. So, but yeah, again, it's the best way to do this is to meet a good company a representative that works with you that has good connections with the hospitals they're covering and then get your foot in the door saying, yes, yeah, so let me cover that weekend for you. Let's see how it works out. And you enjoy something about what they do at that facility. Maybe they do a lot of uh, cancer work, you know, intense cancer work and there's some, uh, something in the back of your mind you wanted to learn. Well, that's your bridge right there. That's your ability to work with another clinician, see if it's for you, and possibly be invited back. And then long-term, who knows? You might work there and family moves there. So this really... Yeah, I go back to it. Should it be done right after you graduate from the, you know, 14 years of school, <laughs> day one of working? Uh, 
you're pretty green and you're pretty scared about a lot of things then. I think you need some time before you do it um, because everything might be daunting. But I wish I would have done it uh, 10 years earlier. I think I waited 17 years after postgraduate. Ten, seven, five to seven years out, I think, is a happy medium where I probably would have done it that long. I wouldn't have stayed in one practice, even though I love my ex-partners and it's a great practice and they're, they're, they invite me back to work and it's a good relationship. I, I just think my personality is that I might have done it earlier. So that could be good advice to those working five years at a place. Maybe they really are, they're in Colorado and they gravitate towards Michigan or something. That's the time. Find the locums company and just take a, take a little risk. <laughs> you know, do your vacation week to start. These are advice to the, this is specific advice here. Uh, don't quit your practice yet, but take a week off and cover five days out of the eight that you have off. And uh, you never know what it'll bring. I think that is amazing advice and um, really insightful too around the timing of, you know, when, when you could have, and you kind of wish, oh, I would have even, I could have done it sooner. Um, and, and also the, like you're saying, you know, try, try it on first, try it on for size. And what we've heard, and I think Brian can speak a little bit more about this is we've heard once people try it, they tend to just keep coming back like, like, like yourself, Dr. Bay. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and Dr. Bay touched on this a little bit earlier too. I think some of the things that people fear are one, the credentialing process, which you know is fair. It's, it can be cumbersome in the beginning um, when you're more of a seasoned locus professional. You have a file built. You know where all your COIs are. All you know, you're, you have your hard copies of your medical degrees. Things that you didn't really always think about when you're getting privileged in the beginning because you didn't have as much experience. You didn't have as many places to verify. But once you Kind of, once you kind of dip your feet in the water and realize, okay, as long as the agency is willing to like take on a lot of that, once you get it to them, it's a lot less intimidating, right? The, the goal is that, you know, you fill out some forms in the very beginning, you know, maybe half hour, hour. And then the goal is ideally that our team works on it. And then, you know, next you're basically orienting. That's the goal. And it's been really well, I'll be honest, once uh, say Brian's company has my data and Someone there is looking over the expiration dates of the, I don't know, 15, 16 different things that can expire, a DEA license, for instance. And they, they give me a heads up, you know, hey, this is going to be expiring in about four months. You, what, you, do you have a new one out or can we help on that? It's wonderful, you know. So I have my own staff, some staff that are there looking out after me. They don't want to see it expire in the middle of me promising for another elective and then a delay. So that's critical. That's good stuff. Love that. Quick question. Is there a location that you are dying to try, doctor? <laughs> ah, well, this is a cliche, but uh, my wife, anything in Hawaii, she'll want me to try. <laughs> so it's one on. of her favorite places on the planet. I, I did my very first locums I did was Alaska, Kodiak Island, Alaska. So that, that set it up. That was in the year 2000. Um, no, yeah, that 2000. And what happened is it was sort of my nightest to see what was out there. Like it, it led to me moving from uh, one place in central California, moving to northern California. So I would say it was the nightest that brought that change it, from a practice to a practice. But just doing it, I just saw what was out there in the outside world. And it only took a couple of times going there, but it was a wonderful experience. 
And I would go back to Alaska. I'm from Michigan, so I maintain Michigan license. I maintain North Dakota. We're moving to Oregon and uh, have California. California is just a big state. I think it's what, six in the world for GDP if it was a country. It's it's enormous. So it, there's so many opportunities in California. I've told all my partners in North Dakota, you know, if they ever want extra work, uh, I have a great company with Brian and, uh, you know, they can seek work there. They're pretty busy too, but um, it, it seems like a lot of opportunities in California. So I think with the four state licenses already, you know, I don't really want another state license, but but yes, I think I'd pick Hawaii if my wife wants. <laughs> if Brian finds something there, I'd probably go to use it as a <laughs> vacation work experience, you know. Love that, love that. Well, we're we're getting to the end of, you know, of this series and, and this podcast. Um, I, Brian, I'd love, you know, any, any other tips that you want to share or advice um, to anybody thinking about locum. Yeah, I think I think Dr. Bay summed it up perfectly. Uh, I think the timeline of you know you you may not want to do it first thing out of you know residency or fellowship. Um, you may want to just you know get just a little bit more comfortable um, you know in a practice or a setting or with the healthcare system first. But honestly, after a year, you know whether you want to pick up a weekend, cover a holiday. To his point, try it for a week. Pick a week that's a holiday so you get time and a half. You know all. Things like that, you know, it's there's just a way to try it, and, and there's a lot of opportunities that, you know, the credentialing is not going to be that bad. You know, there's there's things like temp privileges, you know, emergency credentialing where you're not going to have to wait 90 days out. They need somebody, and they need somebody now, and and so we can get you in there to kind of try it out. And I think that's one of the things that big misconceptions you have to have all this lead time. The reason they're using locums oftentimes is because you know something unexpected happened. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, and so. A physician left and they didn't have the, the ample notice. Maybe there's a, a family medical leave, something like that. They need somebody now. And that's why it's great to have like really, you know, well-versed physicians like Dr. Bay that, you know, know multiple EMRs that have 20 plus 25 years experience that they know that on day one that a person lands the night before when they're there at 7 a.m., they know they're getting a, a extremely good, competent doctor that's not being trained really. You know what I mean? They know that someone can handle anything that comes up. And so I think that, you know, those are kind of the things to, to try it out, see if that's what you're interested in or what you're you're looking to do, really. You don't know until you try. That, that's great advice. You don't know until you try. And don't be afraid to try. <laughs> yeah, Good Dr. Point. Bay, I was going to say it's been so insightful. I mean, you really, you really brought forth some things that I've never even thought of. And I think probably if some of the physicians were, you know, maybe had doubts or were thinking about. Um, and you really helped bring that to life and, and just talk through, you know, why locums might be a great solution and, and really just, you know, giving it a shot and all of the upside that there really is there. Um, and, and one of the really cool things I heard you about is, is just kind of the, the, the physician community and, and being there to support each other and, and helping some doctors out and, and making that connection with them and, and um, really for the greater good of the, the patients and, and the health you know, healthcare that you're providing. So I, I loved that. Um, want to thank you for that. Um, as somebody that obviously you're, you're impacting everybody's lives, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I'd love anything else, Dr. Bay, you want to share w- with our audience? I mean, I, you, we, we touched about it over and over, but it's important that the co-mingling I called it, or, you know, cross-pollination of ideas, 
it's amongst other interventionalists, but often you're there alone because the other person's on vacation or, you know, they're short. So you will commingle and uh, cross-pollinate ideas with the other specialties that call on you. That's been exciting. I, I think my my knowledge base has gone up more than a linear uh, uh, slope since I've started doing this because it has to have, you know, being immersed in an element. And I'm very thankful. The other thing I learned, and this is important, uh, we're not taught finances in med school or how to juggle them or how to do retirement plans and all this crazy stuff. So I learned uh, to to believe a faith, and I just became an S corporation of one. I'm a company of one. I'm the CEO, secretary, triumph, the whole, you know, it's silly. I say that it's fun, but you when you do that, you can then kind of dovetail your uh revenue into your retirement plan at your own pace. So many times docs are slowing down as they do locums or they're ramping up, but either way, it's, you, you have more control over that as well. So that's another perk for the locums companies that work with you and Brian to so fast to get the data back to you and everything is organized. Um, then you be, then you feel like a master of your own destiny with your long-term plan. And, and, and I, I can give separate advice on the S corporations later if other people want to talk about that. But it it wasn't as daunting as it sounds, you know, a corporation. No, it's really, you're really a person still, but your entity uh, has a lot of uh, tax breaks that are legitimate, fair, and encourage other people to do so, like a small business, essentially. That's something that has been part and parcel with all this, a big plus. Love that. And that that is really good advice. And people don't always get that side of you guys do so much schooling, but like, yeah, that you're the business right piece the of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great advice. I I love that. Well, thank you so much, um, Dr. Bay and, and Brian for, you know, being part of the podcast today. And I know our audience is gonna this is just gonna resonate and they're gonna learn so much. So appreciate both of your both of your time. Appreciate your time too. Thank you. Thanks both of you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, appreciate it. Thank you to all of our listeners. If you would like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And a big thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you would like to be a guest, please go to www.pacificcompanies.com. Thank you.